Welcome to Uniquely Me, Voice of the South Asian Community. I'm your host, Tanjeet Twinkle. And I'm your co-host, Asim Hassan. This podcast is about South Asian community members who want their unique voices to be heard in the South Asian community and beyond. The podcast is a segue to conduct meaningful conversation about South Asian culture and community. So let's get this conversation rolling. In today's episode, we have Tony Noshin, who's a Bangladeshi climate justice activist based in Germany. Her work towards addressing the climate crisis to protect the planet started in her early years. With a background in economics, she envisions the world to be a better place for all of us. So we will be conversing with her about her work today. Hi, Apu. How are you? I'm good. Hi. Thank you for uh, welcoming me here. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Thank you for coming. How has your weekend been so far? Um, yeah, it's been nice. I'm visiting Bangladesh after two years. So it's oh, been wow. Nice. Yeah. Wow. It's been long and it has been really nice. When was the last time? So you did you visit Bangladesh two years prior? Yeah. Okay. Uh, 2019, before the whole pandemic started, exactly in August 2019. So I finally managed to come again now, and it's been really nice to connect with friends and family. I haven't seen my siblings in two years, and mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's uh, you are a different person. I think even yeah, of course, in different languages, you're a different person, and of course, uh, when you're home, when you're meeting all your friends you who you've grown up with, and all the people you know, mm-hmm. um, it's a different feeling. It's really like reconnecting with uh, yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I haven't been in Bangladesh for a long time. Do you think Bangladesh changed, like from I don't know, like two years ago, even, or like I don't know, like five? Like I haven't been to Bangladesh for a while, so I'm curious. What is it like now? Um, I mean, I don't see really big changes than when I left. So I've been here two years ago, and then prior, like I left five years ago to leave abroad. Um, yeah, in terms of any big changes, I haven't noticed any anything big or something that I would be like, oh wow, that's really different, or I don't feel like mm-hmm. I belong here. Nothing like that. So mm-hmm. it's mostly <laughs> Dhaka being Dhaka. Um, the traffic is a bit less because of COVID. A lot of people has left Dhaka, so there has been a, a, a reverse migration. Um, yeah, yeah, I heard other people are heading to Grom right now. Like every, like I think all my family members, like most of them, moved to Grom because it's just easier there, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dhaka is just a bit more emptier than usual. And the schools will be open in, in two weeks, so maybe then there would be way more people than now on the streets. But for me, I haven't noticed anything big yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, for me, actually, I visited last time was in 2018, and after that, I plan to visit in 2019. But I mean, then US happened, so I had to like move out. <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah. So this time, if I visit, it'll be like. It'll be like after three years, and three years is a long thing for me because living in Dubai, I used to go to Bangladesh pretty often. So mm-hmm. everybody is just—I <laughs> would just hop onto the plane whenever. The last time I visited Bangladesh was in 2010. So oh wow, that was like year—that's like 10 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. No, 11. 11. 
11 years ago, like, I, yeah, so I don't, like, I don't visit often because I think once I started high school, I just got busy with, like, school, then my parents got busy with their lives, and now I'm, like, an adult, and, like, now they're, like, why don't you come and visit? I'm, like, I don't have PTO, so I can't, and they're, like, what is PTO? I'm, like, paid time off. I don't, I, I can't take that. They're, like, come for a month. I'm, like, there's no way my job is going to let me take a vacation for a month unless I have decent PTO. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 So, like, a little, like, a little about yourself, like, uh, we wanted to actually talk about your work in Germany, moving on. Um, can you tell our listeners, what are you doing right now in Germany, like in Berlin specifically? Um, yeah, sure. I, so, hmm, there are two different uh, ways <laughs> talk about my work um mm-hmm. so how i like to introduce myself as you said in your uh in my introduction thank you for that mm-hmm. um i like to introduce myself as a climate justice and degrowth activist um beyond that so i i'm working with a us-based um ngo at the moment called 350.org mm-hmm. so i'm working with them as the digital and finance campaign lead so that that's part of my work like profession but beyond the professional work uh, as an individual I'm very involved with the climate movement here in Europe and also shaping the movement in a way where um, the BIPOC voices are being reflected and the anti like the decolonial and anti-racist perspectives are also being embedded um, in the bigger mainstream uh, movement place the spaces so that's kind of the yeah shortest way to say what I'm doing here I have a question. So how did you get involved with climate justice and like basically these issues when I'm saving our planet and stuff like that? Um, so this kind of now again, I'm thinking what would be the shortest story. Um, so when I grew up in Bangladesh, I was always involved with social justice issues. I was um, a student activist from my very early like teenage years, around 13, 14 years. I was involved with the student movement here in Bangladesh and the social justice issues. So that kind of uh, was always a part of me growing up when, yeah, when there was something out there that I didn't like, I would get involved and try to change that with um, other people. And as Tasni knows, like as we are cousins, like in our family, there is this history or legacy that uh, we come from this family where people have always been very aware of their um, country, of their surroundings and the responsibility that we have as individuals to change the things in the world that we don't like or the way we want it to be. Mm. So that that kind of, I think, uh, was ingrained in me from, uh, yeah, from an early age. And then when I moved to Germany in 2016 to study uh, for my second master's, um, so it kind of, I arrived at that point through my studies, I was doing this master thesis where I wanted to look at um, how like the climate change impacts are the most hardly felt or the poorest or the marginalized are the hit hardest um, by the climate change impacts and I was trying to see how the government policies could help and this kind of stuff and while doing that that was when first I encountered all this um, the this government intergovernment um, reports that, that that's out there that comes out um, analyzing like showing what the climate change impacts really are and how it will be felt and that's when i also realized that there's really not a lot that the countries that are in the front line of the climate change could 
do a lot because there is this very imbalance between the cause of the climate change and the impact of it. So the ones who are causing it are not the ones who are going to feel the impacts of it first. They're in many cases they're actually the last, the the rich, and in this case also specifically countries in the global north are mostly responsible for it. But they're the ones mm-hmm. like one when they have more resources to uh, deal with it, but also. It's just a random, very lucky, cynical um, a composition where the countries in the global north are also going to be uh, hit the last. But now we are seeing this all these forest fires in Canada and US. So anyway, so from that, that's when I realized. Then, if you want to stop this, if you want to, we have to first stop the climate change from fully being played mm-hmm. out. And to do that, the work needs to happen. in the countries where there is power because uh, one of the main reasons this whole carbon emission and the fossil fuel like consumption that's much much higher uh, in the countries in the global north so that was kind of my first cue and i started looking out to see what was happening and that's that's when i met then the fellow um activist that there was this one thing i was particularly interested in was this whole the concept of tea growth um so there was some summer school and there were then also in europe so europe has this very wonderful also this legacy of movements there has always been a strong um labor movements and also now social justice like there was anti nuclear movement uh back in the days um so also at the moment for the last 2 3 years germany has been like in terms of the whole student movement or the fridays for future uh it's it's very big and broad there so that was kind of my first entry point when i started then meeting people going to the movement spaces there would be call for organizing um some events and i started going there and that that's kind of was how i started from really this need and realizing um that i have to do something and something needs to be done here in global north because in bangladesh we don't have so much power over that's true uh, carbon emission at the moment um yeah Oh, go Sorry. on, please. No, please go. No, no, I was just going to share this story that I shared with you for the other postcards uh, testing that. Um, so one day I read this report uh, while doing my master's thesis, and there was one projection that said uh, by 2071 there wouldn't be any country called Bangladesh because of the sea level rise. The way oh, I was going. That was the question I was going to ask you actually. Like glad uh-huh. you brought it up. I was going to ask you about the sea level rise in Bangladesh because I took this class called environmental. Um, it's called biomentalist, and like we basically learned about like the basically sea level rise. So I'm glad you brought it up because that's what I was going to ask you. So please go on about that. Okay, yeah. So that was like one of the projections, and I remember that it hurt me quite hard. I was very um, sad and upset. As I mean, I think it's also because where we grew up, we have a different relationship to that uh, place, no? So um, mm-hmm. as I grew up in Bangladesh, my uh, both my parents fought for um, in the liberation war, and um, we have all of this like very deeply attachment, like deeply attached to this to the people, to the, the country. So for me, it was very difficult to imagine that this. place that it wouldn't even exist and if i ever have a kid i won't be able to even show them that yeah this is the this is where i grew up or this is what your grandparents fought for so that was very emotional for me um it was some, somewhere in the middle of the night and i remember i started crying i was very upset somehow and then it was it, it hit me very hard and then i started trying to look for some cat memes to just distract myself and that was also the moment i realized like no this This shouldn't be this way that I I'm, I'm just trying to distract myself and I have to look for cat memes and that was kind of my way being active like 
going to the movement spaces was my way to deal with that pain to know that okay i this is the truth i know it but i'm also trying to do my best i'm trying to do something about it and not mm-hmm. just look away and just distract myself to deal with the pain so i think that that was the key moment when i realized like i have to do something and and the being yeah going to the movement spaces was my way of dealing with that pain and that truth What can people do to like I know like the rising sea levels are going and that's like sort of out of our control but what can people do to like prevent that or not even prevent that for like you know for Bangladesh from Bangladesh from not becoming uh, like a country that doesn't exist Um so there are a lot of different things that needs to be done in different levels so Firstly we need to uh like climate change is such a big thing that it's going to impact all of us and we need everybody to step up like we always say like we need 1 billion more climate activists we need everyone to show up in their best um radical selves to to change to tackle with this crisis because it is the crisis of our time um so to begin with the first things that we immediately could do and that the richer like traditionally traditional materialistic term rich nations have the power over is drastically cut the carbon emissions that they're doing there is a huge um a different like a certain way of living and a certain way of energy consumption that is so normal for some people but it's a very tiny percentage of the whole world's population and that's accepted as normal and while maintaining that status status quo we are compromising lives of really billions of people um there are some projections that there's going to be almost 350 million um climate refugees but that's also already quite um conservative estimate like the whole middle east is becoming inhabitable uh, if you look at the news now so this is in our hand like we could really do it and we need to do it fast what we see that the governments are still delaying not taking responsibility and mostly because ah we cannot change the way we live we cannot change um to, not to not to give away the way things are going now but the problem is the way things are going now means we are going to face this huge crisis we are already facing this huge crisis so first things we need for the uh the countries in the global north to really take the responsibility to drastically start cutting the co2 emission which is deeply linked with the way we produce the way we live our um life and such so first we need to then question also because in one way the one of the reasons also we have this huge emissions are like a certain way of producing like a certain way of consumption and production pattern which is also not sustainable this the way we produce things um, maybe you know already there's um the the amount of things that we take from the earth mm-hmm. uh, how long it takes the earth to regenerate there is this calendar and now we already use like deplete the earth's resources that earth could regenerate in a year so we spend it in in four months at now we spend just by april we use up all the resources that earth could regenerate in a year so what we're supposed to use in a year we use oh up in four months yeah exactly so we we are already in a debt uh in the earth so this is kind of we really need to slow down reorganize so there's some of this uh elements and then there is also there needs to be a reparation for from the nations like that is causing this harm for the countries that are in the front line so there needs to be this reparation that needs that, that will go and help the people who are being impacted to deal um with the impacts so there are some plans that says okay maybe it's possible to build dam like the way the netherlands has but the problem is bangladesh has a very different mm-hmm. landscape than than the netherlands and so maybe it, it, we cannot exactly do the same way they build the dam because we are a delta 
Netherlands is not a delta. So we have all these rivers going through us. But then there are still um, some technical um, solutions. But the problem is where we are now, we won't be able to deal with it just by technical solutions. We need large scale policy changes and we need mm-hmm. large scale social transformation. So this is one of the things like, for example, in Germany, we have this huge movement where uh, uh, we are demanding the government, the German government to phase out coal by 2030 at least. But then because there are so many these big coal companies and they have lots of lobbying, um, they say, ah, no, let's let's phase out coal much later. And now it's set at 2038, but which is very inconsistent because the amount of coal we have at the moment in the planet, if we burn all of that, we will already run over our carbon uh, budget like there's this it's an imaginary number but it says that if we burn use up all that carbon or emit all of that carbon that means we will have such a high level of global warming oh my that god here that we won't be able to live on this planet so it will be we will end up now at the moment we are in one degree then uh it, it says like pre-industrial levels it just says like what was the temperature in um 19 um 1600s not 19 1600s and at the moment we are one degree warmer than that and even at one degree now we see all of this um catastrophes right like you've all seen these huge floods that happened in different parts now in pakistan it's becoming it's becoming so warm that people couldn't leave like uh it's it's literally becoming um inhabitable for humans so yeah and all the forest fires in canada and in the us i think it's still going on in, in some uh, parts of the the west um in california uh, if i'm not wrong Oh yeah, there's so, a lot of wildfires in California, even like some places like in Oklahoma and stuff like that. It's crazy. Exactly, exactly. So we're seeing these crazy things and the, mo- the all the data shows like mm. the amount of carbon and all the things we, like the fossil fuels we have, if we burn the, those, we would end up in three to four degrees warmer planet, yeah. which means really like a death sentence for all of us. But this... Um, this needs to change. So this is this needs all the governments need to step up and not listen to all these businesses and profits, but to the people. So that means we all need to show up and really start holding the governments accountable. And this is mm-hmm. a fight that we want to win just by some people. We need everybody. Mm-hmm. So so there are the things that the governments need to do. But then to make our governments, as we see over and over again, they are not really good at doing the things that are good for people that is they really true. have friends Facts. and they their friends have money and they listen to those friends so um yeah and then that's one element and then we need everybody to like as, a, as an individual if you're worried if you're depressed mm-hmm. like step up there are really a lot of things right. that are there's some people who are trying to do um stuff and change the situation join join a movement look up 350 there is um greenpeace there's also uh, there's this huge in us there's um i think climate coalition mm-hmm. um um in, in 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 europe there's fridays for future uh, future coalition i think in the us mm-hmm. there's a future coalition there's sunrise movement so there are a lot of really nice people trying to do really cool things mm-hmm. um we all need to look look up what you what what um appeals to you and join a fight because it's really your fight too that's what I would say. Yeah. I have a, you know, speaking of speaking of oh, like yeah. whatever is happening right now. I mean, recently we just had Hurricane Ida hit uh the northeast uh-huh. and yeah. it was crazy. Oh, it you know. Crazy. Uh you yeah. see Philly. Philly the the highways in Philly, it was like looking like a river. 
Like, yeah, Schoolgirl Hill. On. Yeah, no, Schoolgirl Hill River was over flooded. Vine Street was crazy. But I live in Delaware. Well, I technically live in Maryland, but I covered news in Delaware because we're close by. Delaware, like, houses were destroyed, floods were everywhere. That's the biggest storm coverage I ever had because yeah. I work in local news. And, like, yeah. it was like footage after footage. It was like we were, like, it was our breaking news. Like, our whole weather like our whole like newscast was about weather because yeah. we were telling people like what to look out for where to hide what not to do because people's lives were on the line if you think about yeah. it and yeah. now, like in new york there are so many stories that i'm hearing that people who live in the basement their houses got filled with water people actually oh, died because the water came into their houses like how crazy is the weather and you know like the subways are not working in new york Neither are the trains, I think, in Philly, and like nothing. Like it was crazy, and that really hit me so hard. And besides this, like even the California wildfires, um, the wildfires are so severe right now. You can see the haze in the Northeast. Like oh yeah, you can. You can. See the smoke in New York. Like the air is quality so is so bad. Yeah. yeah. So, so like as a climate change activist, like. I don't know, like, what's the, like, I mean, I know we talked about this, but it's like, it's like, there's more something, like, there's more that we can do to prevent it, or like, what can our government even do? Like, what public policies are there for, like, them to step up their game and help these people? Um, in terms of public policies, like, there are some really solid things, as uh, we were saying, like, um, that the governments could do. One thing is changing, we have this very big addiction towards the whole um the way we make so we, for example in germany because there is this huge car industry the government often tried to make sure that the car industry is earning their money but at the moment if we see where we are at we really cannot afford to have lots of oil gas driven cars on the street like lots of individuals running around with car we need large-scale public infrastructure because this really reduces emission to a large extent like it, it's possible to cut down emission greatly just by providing a very wonderful public um, transport infrastructure and this it, it's in the hands of the government they could easily do it and it's also mm -hmm. possible if you look at the amount of money that the governments often give as subsidies or channels to the private um, companies when you ask and question like but wait that's the money that the people are paying as taxes and we're giving mm -hmm. loan to all these private companies who just really find ways to accumulate profit and not not give back enough why are we even doing that we should be prioritizing people's well-being and if we do that so this is one of the first like we don't we need to provide good transportation good infrastructure of transportation where people are not so dependent on uh, private cars and, and that, that would help us to reduce emission in a huge amount then there in this <clears throat> another element of the way we produce things or the way we are even um, producing our energy so now mm -hmm. there's this huge addiction again towards coal um, and then we still have this large amount of uh, different power plants that are being run mostly by um, oil coal or gas there is already at this moment uh, the renewables are already cheaper than the the fossil fuels but we still don't see a large-scale transition in this uh, renewable sector because there's a huge 
lobbying of the fossil fuel companies that stops the governments to really mm-hmm. take uh, necessary measures to do this transition because they want to still have money, but they're really trying to protect their profit at the cost right. of the planet. Do so you think? The, go on. Yeah. Sorry. No, no. Go ahead. No, I was dating Bangladesh government is doing anything about climate change right now or like because we talked about what Germany could have done or like what their government is planning to do or what they could have done but what do you think Bangladesh plays into this? So as I was saying like the problem here is the governments in Bangladesh or in the countries which are going to be first hardly hit because their footprint, because of their um, contribution to this crisis is not so huge. It's like asking someone who hasn't really done a lot to reduce it. Even if they do things, it's not gonna create a huge impact because they're not the source of the problem. Mm. So that's one of the uh, main pro- main um, reason, like main the, the situation in the power distribution, we have this unequal situation. Yeah. So in terms of Bangladesh government, what we have been demanding, it was very simple that to stop uh, the coal power plants, to not really install any coal, coal power plants because it doesn't make sense. So from the government side, uh, they were talking like, uh, because we still, we also have a right to develop and all of these nations, they had these early chances to burn coal and they develop their economic activity at the cost of coal and at the cost of all of us. So why should we also not have a right to use this um, energy. So that was kind of the side of the government that they're um, sharing. But from the movement side, we have been demanding that just because someone else did something wrong, doesn't mean I could also do that wrong stuff. So just because we now already know that at 2021, it really doesn't make sense to start new coal power plants. Let's not do that. We could directly jump, we could completely skip coal and directly go to renewables. And now, like some of the good things that happened, like the government in the end did cancel almost um, 10, 14 coal power plants that they had uh, planned to build. There's still three three or four power plants that's, uh, um, no, maybe around five, five power plants that are still going ahead. And of course, from the movement side, we are not happy about it. But um, so these are the things, but at the same time, the Bangladesh government has this huge challenge. We, at the moment already, we have, six million climate refugees already it, it's also this data i'm telling you is already from two years ago like uh at 29 2018's data is bangladesh had at that point we had six million climate refugees who are internal so who moved to dhaka city because they lost um their homes their crop um their livelihood because of different um uh, climate impacts so this is what we're already dealing with and we we do not have the resources to so what we are um so for the demand that we will have for the government of bangladesh or the governments of any other frontline uh the first hit countries is much different than what we will demand to the countries that are responsible that, that are their actions are unleashing this impact on um, on this other countries no mm-hmm. so for the government mostly the demands are exactly then to take care so bangladesh is also leading the uh, most uh climate impact the vulnerable um countries at the COP, like that's going to start this November. Bangladesh is sharing that and they're still trying to do this negotiation within this international community. So there's still the governments could do is, of course, make sure that the resources that that are there that are being uh, in a proper way being distributed. So they're still um, kind of trying to make sure that the people that the resources that are there is reaching the people and they're being able to use up that resource and deal with the impacts. So there are, and at the same time, we also see a lot of wonderful tasks, like things that are happening also in terms of climate change adaptation, like we have new um, crop varieties, new kind of rice that that are more 
saline water resistant because we will have like we have higher intrusion of sea water in, in inland uh, because of the sea level rise. And now there are scientists, Bangladeshi scientists, who worked to develop um, more saline resistant rice um, variety. Then there is new ways of producing vegetables on floating bamboo sheets. Then there are new ways of making house. But the problem again is you cannot ask people to adjust, keep adjusting their life and their life is becoming more miserable. And on the right. other hand, the ones who are just like, oh, no, I don't want to give up my car or like, I don't want to, I, I still want to make sure I have this friends who are working in oil company and they, I don't want to make them angry. So I would just not say anything and I would just keep using the way I use my energy resources. So that's just not right as well, no? So that's why mm -hmm. it's more important to talk about the countries that has the power and that are the driving seat of this climate crisis. Kasim, mm -hmm. do you want to ask him the next question? Yeah, sure. Um, so I wanted to actually know how has the experience been as a BIPOC or an activist in, Ger in Germany compared to in Bangladesh? Like what are the differences that you have noticed during your career trajectory? Um, it's very different in ways that, for example, often in countries, as we know, that the police could be more brutal. So I don't have, uh, but I've heard stories that the U.S. police is also very, very brutal. And for example, even yeah. in Europe, the French <laughs> police is way more brutal than the German police or and such. So in terms of like being afraid to be physically harmed or, or being... Uh, feeling unsafe so of course it's much i feel much more safer uh, in europe um like knowing that okay probably i won't be beaten too harshly on the streets in front of cameras but often in, in bangladesh the situation was different um like as most of us know uh, from uh, from from the paper and such so that's of course one thing like when you're you're right trying to do things on the streets so you know or you're always um, thinking about your um, security and such that's that's different of course um and other than so this is one thing and also of course mobilizing when you're being on the street we're mobilizing there it's often maybe not always easy to meet um a how you call it like be able to reach out to politicians or have them listen to your demands it's like you're you're trying different ways and methods sometimes in europe there are way more established like channels like that you could reach to the politicians or it's also because of is this certain way of um how you call it like uh, like some standard accepted procedure as a politician bureaucracy not exactly bureaucracy but it's like also the political culture that as a politician, you are also expected mm -hmm. to uh, respond when when you have um, protesters in front of your office or you have oh. people demanding something to you. It's also kind of part of your PR to then then come out or acknowledge or speak. So there's also for all of this um, different dynamics. So mm -hmm. that's also different. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, one thing is very different. Of course, I could mobilize or organize in my mother tongue in uh, Bangladesh when I was organizing. In Germany, there is like two layers, right? Mm -hmm. Right. I'm using English and the ones who are working and organizing. And many of 
uh, many people do not speak good English, then there is this huge um, language barrier and then working through the language. So then often language becomes a challenge and working with that added layer of challenge and still kind of communicating and mm-hmm. connected because of the cause that we care about. And um, in terms of uh, being able to do things, for example, in Europe, that what we have also seen, like it's possible, there's called this civil disobedience. So where you could use your body to block things. Uh, as I was saying again, that you know that police will not be brutally beating you up. So in some parts, you could do that. You could risk, you could chain yourself to something or you could, uh, like they're one of the things sometimes the activists do, like glue their hands to the doors or um, uh, in the streets. So these are the actions that often people could think of doing. But the way the police and the um, treats activists in the global south, it's much different. Like there, people couldn't imagine doing this kind of civil disobedience or putting your body in different parts to block it things or create a disruption that's unimaginable. No? So these are, the, of course, the big differences um, that exist. Mm, other than that yeah I think those are mostly the things that pops up to my mind right now okay great great um I had a very interesting question to ask you like we know that the climate crisis actually I've read reports and the latest news that I read was it was really disheartening but people say that we are beyond a stage where we cannot repair this climate change crisis right now. But on the other end, I also read such hopeful um, news about reversing this by, you know, for example, Tesla is going electric cars, then, you know, they, they are promoting, you know, not using petrol or fuel, um, you know, for cars in the future. Also, besides that, you know, um, cities like Philadelphia, for example, they are setting up a rule that you cannot use plastic bags from 1st of October. Um, so I I do feel very conflicted because at one end, I am reading very, very harsh news about climate change. And on the other side, I do feel hopeful um, because it's more like, okay, there is still hope that people are still doing something out there we are becoming more and more conscious, but where do you stand at this, like about climate change? Also to add on to that question, like what kind of advice would you give to people who are feeling that way? Um, You mean uh, uh, like hopeless way or or what do you mean? Like basically feeling hopeless about, you know. Well, feeling conflicted rather. Conflicted rather than hopeless. Okay, yeah. So one thing is, there is always hope as long as we fight for it, no? And it's, in the end, we're talking about our planet. We're talking about our our whole existence. And I think if this is the matter of our life, we should fight like, yeah, our lives depend on it, no? So that the fight, we, we must fight harder. We must try harder. We must try everything. So for me, I think I'm not ready to give up so easily or I'm not gonna, If even if... So first of all, there's always hope. And if we all act up, we can change things. There is nothing... Of course, the things are really, really bad. Uh, yeah, of course, the la- latest report that, that the IPCC 
um, published, they said this is the code red for humanity. But that really means that, that that's not supposed to mean that, okay, then I just keep doing, I will just then take two more flights that I wanted to take, or okay, everything is going down anyway, so I just give it up. That that's For me, I would rather say, okay, that just means we all need to step up and join hands and turn things around and look why, how did we arrive here? And there are, like as Tasneem was saying, there are solutions, but but we are a bit, we need to do things a bit more faster just by banning plastics and by having electric cars we won't be able to solve this we need to do more we need to more we need to be more radical because the climate crisis is quite radical and it's unleashing in an this exponential way so we all also must be willing to be more radical and at the same time so as i was saying so electric private cars will not solve it because just turning from uh oil-based electric uh, oil-based private cars to uh, uh, electric just by electric battery uh, car we, we won't be able to change it because we really need broader large-scale reforms and this tiny um tiny tweaks here and there won't work anymore mm-hmm. we could really look at also again like we do need to take start taking our forests and our uh, trees uh, more seriously there's all you would often read there's this all this discussion oh this carbon capture technology and we could take the carbon and store it underground the most efficient like even till the scientists say like the most efficient and the best carbon capture technology that's out there are the trees like the trees mm-hmm. really just they do they take up co2 and they grow so the carbons are being captured in the tree bodies mm-hmm. and really that's the way so when we burn the trees we release the carbon but as long as there's trees and they're huge and they're um growing uh, they capture lots of carbon so we really need to start taking frustration seriously we really need to like these are not like one uh, plastic ban here and then just a little bit of change that there we we cannot like we need to step up and we need to do fast and and mm-hmm. for, as you were saying like for all of those who who are feeling conflicted I would say yeah this is again then of course it's our choice what we could do but then this is about everything you hold dear and and this. It's, it's not like it's a thing that's happening naturally. There are people who are responsible for this crisis that's happening. There we can very specifically show who are responsible, why this is happening, and we can fix it if we all join hands together. It's possible to really change things through people, through mobilization, through uh, political reform and change. And then, yeah, so then I would say, step up, join this. Because only then we could protect yeah, everything we hold dear. There's nothing we can lose, actually. Yeah, well, that's a very thoughtful note to end it with. And thank you for that. Thank you for still giving us some hope. <laughs> because I often feel very conflicted and I stop reading the news because it really, really takes a lot out of me. Um, so I on wish. that note, yeah. I, w- I said I wish I could stop reading the news. That's my job. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) and that is why Tanjin, you come home and you watch funny stuff. So yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah, no, I have to Uh, because like hard news every day makes you want to like switch off your head. Exactly. Uh, But thank you. 
But thank you, Tony, for like coming on the show and like, cause I learned so much. And like, thank you for talking about the Bangladesh water, like sea level, sea level rise crisis. Cause like, I am so interested in that. Cause like, that's like dear to my heart. Cause you know, we have everyone living in Bangladesh, our relatives, and we also like to visit Bangladesh. So like, thank you for talking about that. And like, to, to let me know, like how we can make that better. Like how ways we can change that to prevent Bangladesh from not being Bangladesh. And listeners, thank you for listening to us talk about today's topic. We want to let you know that we are not experts in these subject matters. This is a regular conversation from our perspectives and experiences with our guests about issues that matter in the community. If you feel the same way or have an opinion about this topic, please let us know by emailing us at uniquelyneedvoice at gmail.com. I hope you have, I hope you all took something from today's episode. And if this is us, Tangine Dustin, Uniquely Me signing off.